You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Hokies. I'm Tech Sideline founder Will Stewart, and this is the joy of live television. Uh, welcome into episode 248 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Spoiler alert, Grant Wells has been named the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech. We've got injury news also. The Big Ten has signed a ginormous contract with Fox, CBS, and NBC, not ESPN. And we talk about other topics and take your questions. It's all coming up on this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Tech Sideline, not the Tech Sideline podcast, but the entirety of Tech Sideline, is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks, is a nationally ranked, community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee, with additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. First Bank is also the Bank of Tech Sideline, so we have a lot of experience with them. And one of the cool things about First Bank is it's actual people. So, at, uh, you know, check them out. And if you have needs for any of the things we just listed, please give them a shot at your business. All right, so a little bit of house cleaning. cleaning. First of all, uh, like and subscribe here on YouTube. Appreciate that. And speaking of subscribing, this is the time to, subs to subscribe to TechSideline.com. First month is free for monthly subscribers. So give us a run, $10 a month. Annual subs are $100. So that's a discount of 20 bucks off of going month to month. Student subscriptions are free. So, and I always tell people money back guarantee. If you subscribe and you don't like it and you don't think it's worth it, email me. I get that email occasionally, like once every five years or so, you know, and uh, I'm always happy to provide a money back guarantee when that happens. Um, content on the website, we're currently covering fall camp and doing position previews and analysis of, uh, of the various positions on the football team. One last thing, many thanks to Clark Ruland for the awesome tech sideline helmets here on the uh, podcast set. We rolled those out uh, Probably about two weeks ago, I think, when Katie did the last podcast, Clark actually made five helmets for us. And if you're watching YouTube, you only see two of them here. We've got some other cool ones that we will roll out during the football season. So let's introduce today's on-air talent in the red shirt chair, the man whose favorite day is leg day, TSL lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Across the way, the uh, best hair on the Virginia Tech sports beat. TSO Managing Editor David Cunningham. Is that because nobody else has hair? Yeah, that, if you think about it, nobody no, else I mean, really I mean not every, they, some people still have hair, but a lot of them are losing it. Yes. And I wonder if that's a product of the job or if it's just a product of biology. So keep working I mean, that I beat, would, David. Get out while you can. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find <laughs> out, yeah. 
So producing today's show, our newly minted head of audio video production, Nick Brown. And Nick is shadowed today by a TSL wrestling writer and former Tech Talk Live Notes veteran Jack Brizendine. <laughs> and here to observe it, observe it all is sports media and analytics freshman Abby Nielsen, who just arrived on campus Tuesday. So welcome, Abby. And the room is full. That's six people, I think. So uh, Katie's unavailable this week. Jake is still not back yet. In Minnesota. Um, yeah, he called, he calls for the St. Cloud Rocks in their winning program, so they keep making the playoffs every year. And Jake Jake literally hits the runway hot and goes straight to his first class. Well, it's they, funny because when Evan was there, before Evan got there, because Evan Hughes was also there, yeah. and they they went to the finals the year before Evan got there. Evan's there for two or three years, and they didn't Nothing. make it past like the, the quarters and the semis. And then... Evan leaves and then Jake goes and this is Jake's second year and they've they made it to the, the championship game last year and they're on their way this year. So. I wonder how they did when John Laser was there. That's a good question. That'd be a trivia question to be answered. So that's my long-winded way of explaining to you that you're once again stuck with me hosting and uh, um, I've been super busy. Have tried to read as much of our content as I can. Try to come up with some uh, good topics. So you guys will have to carry me on this one. And let's start with Grant Wells being named the starting QB to no one's surprise. Um, and that was announced by Pry at uh, yesterday's media opportunity, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't think anybody's shocked. We saw what he did during the spring game. Wasn't, was, was he previously named the starting quarterback? Like, I have this memory that they said he's no, already No, 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 no. I mean, there was one point when, uh, when the quarterback's coach, Brad Glenn, did some, like, private interviews with, I think, Bitter and Nizielek. And the quote from Glenn on those interviews, he was like, I think we all know who the starter is going to be. Okay. Right. So they basic, so Glenn basically in a, in a public in public comments basically said, yeah, nobody else has a chance to win this job. Now I think it was fair to give Jason Brown a shot to win it after, after a spring and you know, you, you know, you digest the offense and then you work over the summer and the strength conditioning program and timing with your receivers, give him another chance to win it. But uh, I don't think that was it was ever realistic that, that he would. Yeah, Wells was always taking the quarterback one reps anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and during the spring game, 47-yard, 51-yard touchdown passes to Caleb Smith. We've seen what Grant Wells can do. He's a two you know, he started at Marshall for two seasons, so he's previously been named the starting quarterback elsewhere. Um, you know, I think this is kind of what everybody expected. And then the news was officially announced yesterday after Virginia Tech's, I think, Trump Price said 13th football practice in fall camp. So. Yeah, okay. So um, I want to get to – I'm going I'm to do a couple things here. I want to read some comments that, uh, that QB coach Brad Glenn made because, to me, they were pretty remarkable. And uh, then, David, you, you had some stats in your article yesterday, which I think put Grant Wells in perspective. So let's start with – and this is a little bit long-winded, but I looked through your article, and I'm like, well, I got to put that – I got to put that – I got to put that. So here we go. This is a quarterback's coach, Brad Glenn. I think his number one asset is his deep ball accuracy. It's nothing really that I've taught him. He came here with a really good feel for throwing a deep ball. And when you've got a guy like that, that you've got confidence in that you can take more shots. Usually it's a really good rule of thumb. You like to take two or three deep shots a quarter, but with him, it might be even more. Right. Next paragraph. The first thing I think about when I, th and you're going to hear the word accuracy in this paragraph a lot. The first thing I think about when I think about Grant is just his accuracy. He's got incredible accuracy. 
We give these guys an accuracy or location GPA, just like you do in school. You get a one, two, three, and a four. And grading some of his balls, it's incredible his accuracy. Whether it's quicks, intermediate, deep balls, he might be the most accurate I've ever coached. And lastly, and then that pocket movement, he just has a knack, a sense of when to move and how to move and not bail too quick. A lot of guys have got decent running skills. They want to get the ball out immediately. Well, he does a good job of that and hanging in the pocket, knowing when and when not to get out, and then having little efficient movements with his feet. He's a total package. Whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> I mean, I, I think my opinion is like ESPN listed their power rankings the other day, listed tw- tech 12th out of the 14 ACC teams. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think the reason is Grant Wells, but that's, that's a QB coach really going hard to the hole with a lot of effusive praise. I, I think anybody I, I've read a few times from a few, from a few people, even some of our own fans that like Virginia tech doesn't have a power five quarterback. Right. Like anybody who says that has actually never turned on any kind of film <laughs> and watched him throw a football. Yeah. Like, this guy is honestly Ryan uh, Ryan Willis, who played in the NFL. But more mobile and with a better arm. Yeah, I don't know if he's more mobile. <laughs> well, Ryan Willis could run. He was a straight line runner. I don't I don't know what Wells remember, is. Right, you remember say. he broke off, like, that 40-yard run as soon as he came into the ODU game? Uh, and, the, and he yes. had, like, the 4th and 13 scramble against it's UNC UD. to win that game. Yes, yeah. that's true. Uh, but that at, at any rate, like, he's not quite as tall as Willis, but I think their arms are similar. Yeah. I think both guys can make, make any throw on the field. Uh, turnover rates a little high. Yes. Um, the, 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 the quote I like was, you remember Ron Willis said the, the scared money don't make money, don't make money quote. Right. Now, what was Brad Glenn's quote to, uh, Oh man, do, do, I don't remember what it, it was, it, but it was something similar, except it was the, the opposite. It yeah. was like, okay, you don't have to throw deep on every play. Sometimes you can just take the check down option. Yeah. It was like, you'll, you'll never go hungry if you do something i, I don't know oh, but it yeah. was basically it was basically the opposite of the of the ryan willis uh, you know you'll you'll never you never go broke making a profit exactly <laughs> right 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 exactly Captain 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 obvious, but yeah yeah and of course it, the funniest part was uh he said that and uh andy bitter asked follow-up questions said uh brad glenn have many more of those phrases you can share with us and he said not that any i can share yeah yeah <laughs> um so i i think wells is is a good player. And I've said from the very beginning, I was never worried about whoever starts a quarterback for Virginia Tech. I was more worried about who was going to catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. If you're who's, throwing who, the ball who, deep, who's going to catch who's gonna gonna the ball off too and things like that. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I think I asked Grant yesterday um, after practice when we spoke to the, you know, him and, and Brad Glenn and Brent Pry, I asked him, I said, I asked him what he's, uh, what area of his game he's improved the most since the spring. And he said, really just not forcing things. And of course, as somebody who's thrown a lot of interceptions in his career, that's huge. But and I included that part in my, my article yesterday. Um, yeah, I think that part is, is going to be so key because of course you listed all the praise Brad Glenn's gave him, Brent Pry gave him similar praise. He's clearly got the arm for it. He can read the game, but I think it's when he feels like he has to force things is where things went wrong in the past. And he even said, you know, coming out of last season, he knew he needed to work on not forcing things in the off season. It sounds like he's done that. Well, uh, something I read, and I think it was your article also, uh, uh, Virginia Tech has a, a somewhat unique situation in that they've got a quarterback's coach who is not the offensive coordinator. This is so the first can, time Brad Glenn has this is the first time in a long time Brad Glenn has not been the offense coordinator while being the quarterback's coach. And it's the first time in Wells' career 
that he he's had, he's a, had a different yeah and, and they've been working on the turnover issues right yeah well yeah. and well said it's much much easier than you know some offense coordinators like being in up in the booth some like being on the field but either way they've got to worry about the offensive line they've got to worry about the wide receivers the running backs everything else Grant Wells can come off the field and go up to Brad Glenn and Brad Glenn has four people to worry about and it's a four quarterbacks right. and he can go up to Brad Glenn and, and like right after something happens and just break it down with him right then and there. And it's but, much easier than going back and watching film a couple hours later. Right. Now, now, all right. So compare it to, to Virginia Tech's situation back when Steiny was the offensive coordinator. He was also the tight ends coach. And I think, or he was the offensive line coach for a while and then tight ends coach. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He, he was not the quarterback. He was not the quarterback's coach. The quarterback's yeah. coach. Think about how much Brian Randall developed under Kevin under Rogers. Kevin Rogers just, right. who was just a quarterback's coach. And right. how much, yes, Marcus Vick developed. And, and, and yes, uh, yeah. I mean, and then after Rogers left, you've got, you know, Mike O'Kane coming in and, you know, Sean Glennon developed into a good passer for Virginia Tech. Some would disagree with that, but, <laughs> but he was a good passer. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Tyrod Taylor developed with a quarterback's coach who wasn't a coordinator. Uh, so this is a recipe that has worked for Virginia Tech in the past. Nice. So one of the things that's said about uh, Grant Wells is that, you know, he, he's, he's played, he played a couple years at Marshall. He's got three years left here, three years of eligibility. Two and a COVID year. Yeah, the two and a COVID year that, that he's, a, he's a mature guy. He's already engaged. He's engaged, yeah. right. So he's not your typical you know, college, sophomore, uh, junior, you know, however you want to slot his age. Um, now, again, I'm, I'm short on the details. Has he taught, has Grant Wells talked to the press and have you guys been in the room with I him? I talked to him for two or three minutes the other day. I really like him. He, yeah, uh, his dad, his dad's a tech grad, but you know, he grew up in West Virginia. Yeah. So he's one of those rare people. Listen, if you grew up in the state of West Virginia, you're a West Virginia football fan. Yeah. That's the most loyal state in this country. I think as far as loyalty to their biggest program i think so yeah. um and so I, I like and I, so I, I wish virginia was form, half as loyal to virginia as to and virginia so a tech formal marsh a former marshall quarterback is going to be the virginia tech quarterback in the virginia tech west virginia right right Playing right yeah. West virginia. yeah so he grew up a west virginia fan and a virginia tech fan yeah yeah so i talked to him about that a, a little bit but yeah i i like him I, I think he's got a good head on his shoulders and uh he's at least going to be the starter for two years for virginia tech hopefully three barring injury um, so when's the last time Virginia Tech actually had a quarterback start all of two straight seasons? Uh, Logan, Thomas. Logan Thomas. Yeah. And even Michael Logan, Brewer almost did it. Almost did it. Right. Well, was going to do it until that first game in 2015. And he got his, yeah. you know, uh, got his, what was his clavicle yeah. broken? I believe this was. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and even Logan Thomas that, that, that year was like, he was in a boot most of the time. Like he wouldn't, he'd take it off before he went to media session. So nobody would actually know he was hurt. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he was hurt. He was just so big and tough that he, that he kept playing. So yeah. I like, hopefully Grant Wells, we, yeah. we, you know, we can have a returning starter next season. I think that'd be very important. Yeah. Six, one, two Oh eight. Is that what they said? Sounds about right. Six, one, six, two, maybe, maybe six, two. Yeah. I forget. I, you can read it all on text timeline. Cause I wrote about it. <laughs> okay, so um, no, I like Wells. He's spoken to the media a couple times. Um, Jason Brown has too. And I think it's kind of like what, what Chris has to say. It's two mature guys. You kind of knew what you were getting. I think everybody kind of expected Wells to get it just because he put up more numbers, which I'm sure we're going to get into in a second, but it's, it's two veterans in the room to, to go along with, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. Right. You can't really go.
go wrong with that kind of recipe. So um, I think in general, Wells is a good leader. And Brad Glenn and Brent Pry both talked about yesterday how, you know, he's not a very well, you know, he's not a, not, he's not a well-spoken guy. He's not a very vocal guy. Vocal, he's a right. very lead-by-example guy. But now that he's a starting quarterback, now it's kind of his unit to control. They expect him to kind of progress more in that area. Yeah, and he's got a bunch of new teammates, too. You don't that just is walk into a new new locker room and just take yeah. control of it. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you haven't even been named the starter yet. So you guys were talking about the possibility of him starting for two or three years, and, and David Hale – who covers the ACC for ESPN. Is that right? I, I love David's stuff. I follow him on Twitter. And, and listen to this stat. There are only five Power 5 teams who haven't had a QB with 25-plus starts in the playoff era. What is that, 2014 on? Yes. Yeah, thereabouts. So in the last eight or nine seasons, however you want to break that out, only five Power 5 teams have failed to have a quarterback with 25-plus career starts. So uh, Maryland, the most they've done in that stretch is uh, Perry Hillis started 19 games for him. Now, Tag- Tagovailoa has 17 starts. He'll play this year, and, oh, yeah. and, and I'll build up on that. Virginia Tech is next. Michael Brewer with 20 starts. Mm-hmm. Kansas, and you don't want to be in – You don't want to be Kansas. You don't want to be neighbors with Kansas. You don't want to be mentioned in a sentence with him in football. Carter Stanley had uh, 21 starts in his career. Kyle Trask at Florida had 22 starts. So Florida – uh, who, well, it's another re- that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons Florida's reasons football Florida. program has yeah. dropped off. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the state of Florida, I think, used to be kind of perceived as one of the cradles of quarterbacks, and and there's University of Florida unable to you know get a guy with a lot of years of experience. And lastly, Rutgers, there's somebody else you don't want to be in the same neighborhood with. <laughs> Noah Vedral, 22 starts. So I thought that was a really interesting stat. Yeah. And um, David finds all kinds of neat stuff like that. So David Cunningham. You put some stats in your uh, article about Wells being named the starter, and I wish we had a graphic to put up on the uh, video. Me too, yeah, yeah. So it, this is this will help put into perspective the kinds of things that uh, Grant Wells has accomplished in his career and last season. So go. Yeah. So well, so I got this idea because David Teal wrote an article last week where he kind of detailed. Okay, if. Grant, this is what Grant Wells kind of brings to the table, and I kind of looked. I looked at some of those numbers and said, "Okay, how does this compare to the Virginia Tech record book?" Well, the record for total passes in a season is 441. That was Michael Brewer in 2014. Grant Wells would have broken that record by four last year with 445 passes. For season passing yards, the record at Virginia Tech is 3,546. 3,546. Gerard Evans. Gerard Evans in 2016. Uh, last year, Grant Wells was 14 yards short mm-hmm. of that. And he played in one fewer game than Evans did in 2016. Yeah. So, in most passes completed in a game, he would have tied Don Strock's record of, of 34, which was set back in 1972. Back when Tech never ran the ball. Yeah. Um, most passes completed in a season, he completed 295 passes. The Virginia Tech record is 268. That was also Gerard Evans in 2016. Um, yards per game average, it's 271.7. And this was a stat I took um, I took from David Teal because th- that would be the most since Don Strock, who 
who set the record with 209, almost 295 yards per game in 1972. In so yards per game average, that was last season for Wells? Yes. Okay. He averaged 272 yards per game through the air. And then completion percentage, he would hold the record. If you took his last season stats, he would hold the record at Virginia Tech for completion percentage in a season um, with 66.3%. That's one percentage better than Hennon Hooker in 2020. So he's a very, like Braglon said, very accurate guy. I don't expect him, Tyler Bowen. It obviously depends on Malachi Thomas, who we'll get to in a second in the running game and how they balance everything. I don't expect him to throw the ball 295 times, or I don't expect him to complete 295 passes in a season, but he's got the arm to do it. I think... Uh and I'll jump it onto this next topic, the injuries. You know, Malachi Thomas being out right now, for now, week to week, whatever that yeah. means. Uh, was week to week going to turn into month to month? I mean, who knows? But we know he's not at practice right now. Correct. And if you're close to coming back, then you're at practice like Jaden Blue. So he's not close to coming back. I would not expect, Malachi Thomas. Malachi yes. Thomas, we mean. So I would not expect him to play against ODU, maybe even Boston College. Like I'm not counting on him coming back anytime soon. Yeah. Um. I wrote a few weeks ago, somebody asked a Q&A question, who are the most in, indispensable players on the team who can't get hurt, right? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, after the offensive tackles, it's Malachi Thomas, because I don't think anybody else is really close to him in terms of, of running back talent. So here we go, right? Here we go. Now, everybody keeps saying, uh, like, Wells, is, we're going to be a power running team. We're not going to throw it all that much. I think our number one asset on offense is Grant Wells' arm, and we're going to throw yeah. the ball a hell of a lot more than people think we are. Yeah. That's my opinion. Interesting Especially stuff. early do, in I was going to say, do you think it changes now? Do you think How much do you think it adjusts the game plan with Malachi Thomas being out? If he's 100%. You know, like if, he's not, if Malachi right. Thomas isn't playing. No, he's still not a 20-carry-a-game guy because of his build, yeah. in my opinion. At least right. not on a – he can. I mean, he went over 20 carries a couple times last year in back-to-back games, but I don't think you do that over the 12 course of 12 games with him. Yeah. At least I hope you don't. So let's go ahead and drill down into that a little bit. You're right. Injury injury news is the next thing we're going to talk about. Malachi Thomas. So who do you have at running back? You got Jalen Holston. Then what? Let me see if we, uh, we got in there to watch for 10 whole minutes There's yesterday. Five running. Five, five other five, running backs. Five other running backs. So uh, when I was watching them go through drills yesterday, Jalen Holston was number one. Sean King was number two. King. Yep. Uh, gosh. Uh, Chance Black was number three. Bryce Duke was number four. Kenji Christian was number five. Okay. That's the order right now with Malachi yeah. Thomas. It, it, uh, it is going to be – I agree with you guys. I think that Tech wants to be a running team first, but, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see how things shake out. Well, you got to go with your best assets. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to just see I – know, I know it'll kind of be like this for – pretty for most of the players just because it's a new regime kind of a clean clean slate Jalen Holston has been talked about as a really consistent player both through the spring throughout fall camp so far as Brent Pry I said what's one word to describe uh, Mal, uh Jalen Holston I asked him yesterday he gave me 28 but um, <laughs> but he he said well-rounded <laughs> and I think that's interesting he's Tyler Bowen, Stu Holt, now Brent Pry, they've all preached and, and praised Jalen Holston for his consistency. Um, he's obviously the elder statesman in that room, but with Malachi Thomas out, he's really the only guy in that room that has reps. 
you know, Chance Black, he's seen garbage time, but King's got some. King's I, got I guess some. Keyshawn King has too. Yes, he's not really an inside zone type guy, though. That's true. So, and and who knows where Keyshawn King stands? Jalen Holson's kind of the only guy that they seem like crazy comfortable with. So I'm interested to see where if Malachi Thomas can't go, how they utilize Jalen Holston, how much he can help balance the offense because if Virginia Tech doesn't have Malachi Thomas and they can't do much on the ground, they're going to be relying on Grant Wells' arm a lot. No, I do, I do think this offense is a better fit for Holston than the old one because I, I, he just looks like more of an inside zone guy yeah. than a, than an outside zone guy. So I, I, just theoretically, this is a better fit for him. I hope I hope he has a good year because I, I like Jalen Holston. He's, this is his sixth year. Um, he's never, never, never really locked down a spot of consistent playing time. And these days, nobody else is going to stay six years except for Tyrell Smith if they're not yeah. playing. Right. So, so you have to appreciate that as, as, as a fan, you appreciate when a player, even though he's not playing all that much is, is dedicated enough and, and likes playing here enough that he stays. So, uh, we're all pulling for Holston to have success because of that. Other piece of injury news is Dallin Wright. Um, so put that in context for me as far as outside receivers, slot receivers, where was Wright going to fit? Uh, well, first of all, let's go over his situation. He's out for the year. Yes, out for the year, had surgery. They, he probably did not specify what the injury was. Right. Um, he posted a picture of, on Instagram of himself in his hospital bed, though, so it's fairly significant. And he also did not say what what the issue was correct yeah i I, something that required surgery yeah he was gonna i would i would have expected him to be in the two deep you know i i don't i couldn't say what spot for sure and i'm honestly still kind of curious to see how the wide receiver room shakes out especially because another guy don't want to get off topic but Jaden blue the temple transfer at wide receiver one of two guys really with a ton of experience He's been out, hasn't really practiced. He's yeah. supposed to be back, you know, this week. Brent Price said he's on the mend, but we haven't really seen the full receiver core at full strength. So it's been in, kind of hard to tell who's kind of lining up where. I guess you know you have Caleb Smith, and you know you have Dewan Lofton, you know you have Jaden Blue, and those are three guys you know you have. And then after that, it's kind of just filling in the gaps. Have, go, have you go. guys done your wide receiver preview yet? Have we? <laughs> No, no, we no, didn't. No, that, we were going to wait to see what they I think said we're about saving Dallin, that right. for that next, be early week. next week. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I saw a bunch of offensive articles, but I didn't remember seeing the wide receiver. So you're, yeah, well, okay. we were waiting for uh, to hear what the the news was on uh, on Thomas and on the no. wide receivers that haven't been at practice. Yeah. yeah. So next week there are, we're going to do a podcast probably Thursday because in the uh, preseason they're talking to the media every Wednesday. So we're going to wait for next Wednesday. So first of all, the team is going to start preparing for ODU next Tuesday, right? Then they're going to do a press conference Wednesday, media opportunity Wednesday. And then I think we'll do a podcast Thursday and kind of wrap up fall camp. So I don't want to like drill down into the depth chart at every position or anything like anything like that. But I did read your, uh, your defensive line preview article, David, and uh, um, Taiwan Garbett, always really good at the media, had some interesting comments. He basically said that Virginia Tech's defense has gone back to being more of an attacking defense as opposed to, I don't want to say read and react. I don't think that's accurate, but, um, and he seemed to really like that. So what's, what's your take from talking to Yeah, him? I think as Chris would agree, 
Justin Hamilton's defense required more thinking on your feet. It wasn't just go play football. It was kind of reading the situation. It kind of was react, at least more so than the new style. But yeah, Taiwan Garbutt, first of all, great guy, great to chat with the media, but he kind of said this has kind of been the the scheme that a lot of the veterans in the room have been waiting for, not just at defensive end, but also defensive tackle. You've got that trio of Josh Fuga, Mario Kendricks, Norrell Pollard. Those guys are all between six foot six, two, and they're all probably in the 280 to 300 range. That's a lot different from the guys. Justin Hamilton recruited where they were six, five to 40 to 50 big difference, heavier versus taller. Right. And now you're giving all these guys, including Taiwan Garbett, a guy like Jalen Griffin, the guys that have been in this program for a long time who kind of had to, they had to kind of readjust themselves, kind of what they what they had been taught to do previously by Bud Fostering that old scheme and Charlie Wiles, I guess. They had to readjust it when Justin Hamilton came in. And now it's kind of, I don't want to say it's the exact same, but it's very similar, similar to right. to that scheme that Bud Foster used. Yeah, I mean, they're basically, like you said, it's not the exact same, but in general, they're basically now going to be playing the scheme that they were recruited to play at yes. Virginia Tech. Because most of these guys were recruited uh, to play under under Bud Foster. And it, it makes more of a difference with, with, I think it's made most of a difference with the defensive tackles. Like, if you're a read and react linebacker, and it's it's made a difference with the linebackers too to a certain extent. So yeah, if you're a quote unquote read and react linebacker, you know you have to depend on those defensive tackles in front of you, occupying blockers. Well, Noral Pollard, like a couple of years ago when he was playing at 265 pounds, he's not going to be able to occupy those blockers. <laughs> he wasn't a fit for the scheme, right? Yeah. So he bulked up to like 281 last year and had a solid year last year, but he still, that was not a scheme that he was suited for. Yeah. Like, I, I, so I actually think Nero Pollard's going to have a very good year because he's finally an upperclassman in a scheme that, that he's suited for. Yeah, and, and everything, chatting with J.C. Price, who we know is very open, he, he, he seems very confident <coughs> just about the group as a whole. And Brent Pry yeah. said the defensive end depth is you know, maybe the best depth that they have on the whole team. I mean, yeah. they've, they've got a lot of bodies up there. They've got a core of about, between tackle and end, they've got a core of about six, seven, eight experienced guys, and then they got a lot of young talent behind them. I'm really interested to see how much this scheme helps. They don't, you know, they don't have a guy like Omari Barno, who was a freak athlete, um, but, but they do have a, a lot of guys who... C.J. McRae, Cole Nelson, those guys have received a lot of praise from Chris Marv, J.C. Price, Brent Pryor. Yeah, they've, they've really piled the praise on uh, C.J. McRae. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how the defensive line kind of matches up because we, yeah, Virginia Tech defensive lines haven't really – they've kind of just done their thing, haven't really done anything extra I'm, recently. I'm, my column today is on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, the, the defensive line, you know, the, la- the last couple of years, 2020, I'm not going to count because they had several, most of them were unsuited for that scheme, and then they didn't even have an offseason to try to get themselves bigger for a new scheme, and then they didn't get to practice the new scheme to begin with. So that right. whole situation was was unfair when you're uh, when you're changing to a new scheme like that in a COVID year. Um, generally speaking, though, our offensive linemen, or excuse me, our de- Tech's defensive linemen have – 
either stayed the same or progressed somewhat, which which leads me to believe that they've uh, they've had better coaching. Like I, I think Justin Fuente did a good job hiring defensive line coaches at, at Virginia Tech. Uh, Ta- Tap was a competent coach, even though he was only here for one year. Uh, <laughs> Cup of coffee. J- J- J.C. Price is a competent coach. Tierlink was a competent coach. And then before that, obviously, uh, Charlie Wiles, who was retained. Uh, by Fuente was a competent coach. Uh, I, I don't think some of his other coaching hires at some of the other defensive spots where we've seen regression from the players throughout their careers, don't think they were such such good hires. Uh, now, as far as the scheme goes, uh, you know, I, I guess probably there's some people surprised that Justin Hamilton didn't, didn't run a scheme similar to Bud Foster's, but you shouldn't be. Justin Hamilton played defense at Virginia Tech for one year. He has one year in Bud Foster's scheme. He played in more defensive schemes in the NFL than he did at Virginia Tech. He learned from more college coaches. You know, when he was a younger coach, he learned more schemes from other college coaches than he learned from Bud Foster in his one year playing defense at Virginia Tech. Yeah. He has more exposure to other schemes than he did Bud Foster's yeah. scheme. Meanwhile, Brent Pry was a GA right. in the 90s under Bud Foster <laughs> it, like, defensively. Exactly, and his dad was a longtime coach. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know Brent Pry kind of cut his teeth to a certain extent in Bud Foster's defense and had a very good understanding of it You know, because he worked with it for three years, which is three times as long as Hamilton worked with it. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, I'm just, all I'm saying is like... This isn't really like, – it's not Hamilton's fault. No. He was hired to, to coach Virginia Tech's defense, and he used the scheme that he best understand. Yeah, but he didn't – but because of COVID and because he was only here, you know, as the defensive coordinator for two years, there wasn't enough time to get the players acclimated and adjusted to the new scheme. Or recruit a whole lot roster of players who were suitable for the Well, scheme. and that too. Right. And so now you flip it back, and there are still – a handful of guys left over from that original group in 2017, 2018, 2019 that Bud Foster recruited and Charlie Wiles recruited of guys that it's not, again, not the exact same, but it's a very attack minded style that the players are like, okay, this is something I'm familiar with. This is something I'm excited for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so to me, listening to all this and, and, and looking at the roster, um, I would caution patience because you've now are, you're now in your third defensive coordinator in four seasons. There are guys, there are a lot of guys playing on the defensive line that have played under three different defensive coordinators uh, and three different, four different defensive line coaches technically. Yeah. Uh, so and and that's when you introduce four different linebacker coaches. Yeah. So that, that's that's a lot of change. You're not going to get consistency in one off season. But so. it's it's easier to get consistency when you're not asked to do a whole lot. Like if if if, if you keep true. it simple on attack, it's easier yes. to get to get consistent. So let me ask you a question about the linebackers, because um, this question was asked on our message boards, and I don't remember exactly how the person phrased it, but they basically asked, um, "Is it possible that the new defensive scheme can lead to improved play from Dax Hollyfield because he is in a smaller box?" I don't know if that's true or not. That's a question that was asked. Mm. Um, won't have to you know Dax is a guy that his weakness is operating in space is he going to be operating in more of a confined environment you know what are, what are your thoughts there my my initial impressions at least what little bit of video I've watched is that Pry has generally asked his mics to drop deep in coverage and he right. demands his mics to be very good athletes so like I don't think Pry I don't mean this in the wrong way I don't think Pry would have really recruited Dax heavily 
because yeah. I don't think he's really a great fit for Price scheme. It doesn't mean I don't think Dak's a solid player and can be a solid player, but I just for the scheme, for what Pry has done at times in the past, I, I don't know that that's the best fit. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I do think he can get better, though. I think he can get better, you know, with better actual linebacker coaching just on, on the little things. Yeah. Uh, I think he can get better because the defensive tackles in front of him now are better suited for the scheme that they're playing in. Yeah. So yes, he 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 can he can certainly get get uh, better. I I do think he's limited to a certain extent in terms of athleticism, which caps his ceiling. Um, but I, I do think he can get better. Sure, yeah, I would agree. All right, so uh, aren't they talking about moving Alan Tisdale down to that Mike spot to provide? Yeah, and I think the reason that they're talking about that is I just think Jaden Keller. Yeah, just sounds like he's won the will job, the redshirt yeah. freshman, which. I don't think I've heard a linebacker hyped like by tech coaches like Jaden Keller. What did you write since, yesterday? DB and Hall? Oh, him and Kelly Lawson are the best two prospects that linebacker tech has had since Hall and a DB. Yeah. No question. I think that's fair. I mean, no, no, no. One of them's not a Mike like Hall was. One's one's a Will and one's a Sam. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I mean, they're both excellent athletes, rangy, good frames. Uh, I just think uh, I think they're trying to find a spot for Tisdale. They're trying to see if, you know, if if they can get better as a defense by adding some increased athleticism at the Mike spot. Yeah, when you have to think, Dax Hollyfield, this is his final year of co- of eligibility. Alan Tisdale has another year, if you a COVID year, if, right. he, if he wants to use it. So right. you could potentially be looking at a Lawson Tisdale Keller linebacker trio next right, year. Right, right. Um, but at any rate, I I do like the those two. Uh, young linebackers in the program, and I, I, I like some of the, like I I'm I like Will Johnson too, but he just keeps hurting his shoulder, and it's always a bad sign that when you when you have two shoulder injuries in your first, oh gosh, he's a eight months freshman, on, yeah. on campus, you know. Right. But I do like if he could ever get healthy, I do like him. Yeah, I, I, it was interesting. So I asked at media day, I asked Brent Pry because he, he talked about building depth at linebacker, and I asked him how do you do that, and he said essentially you just have guys learn one position really, really well. And once they learn that, you have them learn another position. I and mean, that's yeah. kind of the situation that Alan Tisdale's in. And yeah, you know, I'm sure he, he's going to be on the field this year. Maybe Jaden Keller did win the battle at will, but, um, but Alan Tisdale's kind of, they're trying to move him around and, and see, say something has to happen to Dax. You know, what if, there is an unfortunate injury. You're going to need a guy to step up. And, you know, the depth behind him right now is like Dean Ferguson, which Dean Ferguson missed a lot of last year due to an injury. Mm-hmm. So just a lot of that to your question is yeah. building depth. I like the way things come full circle. Weren't Dax and Tisdale both playing backer a couple of years ago? They were. Each other there? <laughs> yes. They were. Interesting <laughs> stuff. And now they're looking, looking like they're down in Mike. So, uh, David, I want to ask you, uh, this goes back a couple of weeks. Uh, the ACC Network folks were here. Who was here that day? Uh, it was Kelsey Riggs, Kelsey Riggs Mark, Mark Packer, Packer, and Eddie Royal. And Eddie Royal, okay. And you got to talk to all, three all of them. them. Yeah. Um, and, and you tweeted out some comments that Mark Packer made. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact tweet in front of me. Words the effect of, these are some of the most intense practices I've seen. Um, and certainly going around the ACC, they are among the most intense in the ACC. Does that sound? Yeah, it was. Uh, let me pull up. It should t- it should only take me a minute to pull it up. So essentially, I, I kind of asked Mark Packer, 
you know, it's kind of kind of generic. What have you noticed from? Uh, Here you go. I've actually got it closer in my uh, feed. Packer told me after being on the road around the ACC for one week, the intensity level at Virginia Tech's practice on Thursday was surprising compared to the rest of the league. Quote, you could sense it was different. You could close your eyes and get a sense of, man, it's hard to believe this is only the third practice, unquote. Yeah, he said, quote, for this to be only the third practice on Thursday, I was really surprised at the intensity level, which I think is great because when I think of Virginia Tech football, I think of tough, physical, let's get down and in the dirt and go hit somebody. And and I thought it was interesting because, you know, it was, what, day three of Virginia Tech fall camp, and they had already been around. They had seen North Carolina and Duke and Wake Forest. Maybe they'd seen Wake Forest. They had seen half of the ACC at least. Right. And Packer was like, yeah, you know, this Virginia Tech, these Virginia Tech practices, they're intense. And it kind of went to what Brent Price said after practice, which was that, and this was the first time we had a chance to talk to him, you know, and he, or, or second time. And he said, uh, you know, Brent Price been just been preaching the intensity. And that's something I've written about, you know, throughout fall camp and over the summer. It's, they're trying to build this culture, build this identity. They want it to be a, a blue collar program where you have to work. We want to, you know, essentially we want to smack you in the mouth as soon as we run out of the tunnel and we just want to steamroll you and run through, which is go, which goes back to, you know, the days of old Virginia tech football. And I'm not surprised that that's how, how Packer felt considering, you know, when you, you go out there, the coaches are intense. They are yelling, but the players, you know, from the ones I've talked to, the ones we've had the chance to, to speak with, they've all responded positively to it. And, you know, I think it's a good culture that is being built. So, Chris, let me, let me play Debbie Downer here. Is there a chance that too much intensity over the course of a long season can take its toll, particularly – particularly if maybe you don't have the success in the wins and losses. What's your take on that? Yeah, you have to have a group of guys that, like, understand that maybe there might be some bumps in the road early and they have to keep just keep pushing forward through them. Um, I don't know. We'll see if that's an issue or not. I think Virginia Tech has a chance to get off to a good start. And, yeah. and we've, we've gone through those reasons before, and I, wanna, I don't want to do it all over again. Um, I think, But I do think they have a chance to get off to a good start, which I think you know could help validate – some of that stuff uh there has been there have been some rumblings that virginia tech has been more physical in the practices where they hit this year there's been an emphasis on physical play which i think is is a good thing and guess what there's been actually fewer injuries this 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 year because i think this staff i think most staffs are better at you have to expect your players to understand what's hurt and what's injured look it's football everybody's hurt yeah like, I remember Justin Fuente's first practice at Virginia Tech. He under, he understood that at first and did a good job of it. There was, like, 20 guys out injured. And he had – but even the injured guys, they had working. Like, Isaiah Ford's out there slamming, like, some mallet into the ground <laughs> just to give him something to do while he's out injured, you know? So, magically, all those guys are back at the next practice because they figured out that they couldn't lay out of practice. They still had to work, even if they were hurt. Because the coaches are using that to figure out who's actually hurt and, and who's not, right? So, I think this group of players has figured out under this staff – the difference between being hurt and being injured, and that's going to make them a tougher football team. You're going to see fewer injuries now, but that, that's so. because they weren't before they weren't actually injuries. Yeah, yeah. I I, I hope so. So, 
Uh, that's good. We're about halfway through the show. Appreciate all that, guys. And again, we'll do a full camp wrap up. Uh, it, I don't know who's going to host that one, if it's going to be Jake or going to be Katie next week. Um, so we're going to take a brief break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about <laughs> one billion dollars for the uh, for the Big Ten media contract. And that's coming back after the break. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline podcast, episode 248. And remember that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. So let's talk about the uh, Big Ten's whopper of a contract, which, which was announced yesterday. So I'm going to run over the basics of it. We don't need to get down into the weeds of it. Seven years, starting in uh, July of 2023. So about a year from now to the, the middle of 2030. So a seven-year contract. Seven billion dollars averages out to a billion dollars a year. Seven billion dollars. It averages out to a billion dollars a year. It's back end loaded, so it won't start out at a billion a year, but it, it'll build up to it. And this cynical part of me says, as the Big Ten poaches more and more teams, the contract will get larger and larger. Um, and basically, there's a certain number. So the contract is not with ESPN, which is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about. Um, it's with uh, Fox, CBS, and NBC. So intriguing, play the intriguing music. Uh, Fox is going to get the noon slot for the national game. CBS is going to get the 3.30 slot, and NBC is going to get the night game. Um, so that's a lot of money, and I want to put this in perspective. I, I had a memory of something, and fortunately I was able to find it. So if you're watching the video, here I am, I'm holding up a uh, hokey huddler, and the headline says, CB Yes. And it's from February 25th, 1994, so almost 30 years ago. And the reason the hokey huddler was excited, uh, Chris Colston wrote this article, is that uh, the Big East Football Conference, which was formed in 1990, started round-robin play in 1993, and in February 1994, they signed a contract with CBS now, this was an eight-team football conference, half as many as the Big Ten. Big Ten's up to 16 now. And it was a five-year deal for a total of $74 million, $72 million. 72 divided by five That's a huge deal. is $15.4 million a year. That's, that's just to eight schools. That's, before, eight that's schools. before dividing in between eight schools. Right. So it's... The entire conference was getting a little over $14 million a year, and the Big Ten is about to get $1 billion a year. Yeah. That's what has happened in the last 30 years. Now, the other nugget I'll throw in there is, I didn't have time to find this, but uh, what was interesting is right about that, right about that same time frame, uh, CBS signed a contract with the SEC, which was for like 16 or $17 million. It was almost the same as, as the Big East Football Conference back then. So uh, really interesting stuff. I just thought you would find that nugget interesting. Um, we get asked a lot. I, I went on the message board today and I said, uh, we're going on the podcast, give me some questions. Three of the questions, and this was probably two hours ago, three of the questions were, what can the ACC do to close the gap? To generate more revenue. Chris, I'm going to tee you up 
And I want you to tell ACC fans it's over. <laughs> well, the only thing they could do is create a time machine and go back to 1953 and, then and choose, the, choose the type of teams instead of bringing in your Wake Forests and your teams like that and, and Dukes into the ACC and making a basketball conference back then, bring in big state schools. That's the only thing they could do. There's not enough people. There's not enough fans in the ACC. Uh, it's not. It's not like the you know the Big Ten has all these big state schools with like some of those schools like fifty thousand people go to them. Yeah. You know their alumni, their living yeah. alumni is just huge. I mean they they beat the ACC and everybody else quite frankly by numbers. Yeah. There's not enough football fans in, in the ACC. Not even at Virginia Tech. Like the only game Virginia Tech selling out this year is West Virginia, and I'm guessing West Virginia fans help with that. Yeah. So we can't even sell out a sixty-six thousand seat stadium. When in a year where you know you've got Miami and West Virginia and at Virginia. home and Virginia at home, right? And we've only sold out one of those games, so there's just not enough interest by fans in ACC football. Florida State, that look at their stadium these days; nobody goes. A lot of empty seats. Well, yeah, you know, so it's just that you don't have the numbers in, in the ACC to compete with that. Like, and even if they did come out with some genius way, all right? So it's. They're, the Big Ten is ahead of the ACC by what by sixty five million per school about about that. So even if the ACC per year, <laughs> the, even if they came up with something brilliant and the ACC started making twenty million more per school in television <laughs> revenue, they're still forty five million behind. I know, it's it's over. It's yeah. over, folks. That yeah. ship is sailed. Yeah. Well, and so when you build a conference, and I don't want to say you know, mostly basketball schools, but they're smaller private institutions yeah. where over half of the ACC, Boston College, is a Jesuit university, you know, a small Jesuit university. Wake Forest is a private institution. Pitt is sort of a Quasi private institution. Yeah. yeah. Pro- Duke is a private is a private school. I Georgia mean, Tech kind of seems like it. Even sometimes. Virginia Tech in Virginia... Who, which are state schools, they're not as big as some of the Big Tens. Virginia's what, state like 16,000 people? Yeah, 17,000. And, and so Miami's a private school. Syracuse is a private school. I mean, when half of your when half of your league membership is private institutions that don't care that much about football, like no wonder for, you know, the ACC's a basketball conference. That's because Duke and North Carolina, that's all they've been able to care about so much because they don't have enough people to care about football. And then you look at the big 10 where like, it's just state school after state school after state school. I mean, the private institutions are what Northwestern and there's maybe a couple others, but when you've got a school like Nebraska, (laughs) Ohio state, Iowa, like, well, well, the number one largest uh, alumni living alumni base in the country, I believe is Penn state. It's something like 650,000 people. Yeah. Penn state, Illinois, I mean, the list just Michigan. The list goes on and yeah. on and on. And yeah. So Penn State's what six fifty is what you said. I think so. Said. Yeah. And tax like what two fifty or three hundred? Getting close to three hundred. Last I heard. It, it's odd when you, when you search living alumni. It's it's actually a hard figure to find. It's, right. It's not. So so Penn it. State has twice as many living alumni as yeah. Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech's one of the biggest schools in the ACC. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. So so that means they've got like, oh, who knows? Like how many? Uh, like how how far are they ahead of Duke and Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and Virginia and smaller schools like that? Yeah. So it's just it's you don't have the numbers to compete with, with the that, Big Ten. and there's just not enough interest. I mean, like when you look the reason well, if you look at the ratings, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say the reason why the SEC and the Big Ten have have these ginormous media deals is because they're the ones who play the best football. Yeah, I mean, you put a Wisconsin game on, 
and and they're doing their thing and then you flip the channel over to uh, the Florida State Wake Forest game <laughs> and Wake Forest is down in Tallahassee drilling a program that used to be great and there's 35,000 people there watching it's a bad look it's it's not intriguing yeah um so if, if you go back to that 1990s Big East contract, the Big East at the time, they had some dogs. I mean, you know, Temple and Rutgers were dogs. Um, and Tech was an unknown quantity at that point in time. But, you know, Miami was was in full throat. Uh, if I remember correctly, West, West Virginia had played for the national championship. The the West, Vir- West Virginia had, uh, I think it was every four years, every five every years. Every five years. I think 1988 they won unbeaten, 1993 they won it unbeaten. And I think they played uh, Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Right, and, right. and I think that was Lou Holtz's last. That 1993 t- West Virginia team that uh, went unbeaten, Tech lost to by one point. 14 to 13. Yes, because uh, in Morgantown. Yep. Um, and somebody missed an extra point or something. No, it was it was a, <laughs> it was a, a long goal. it was it was a long field goal that Ryan Williams I think was his name missed. Well, Tex kicker back then had half a foot, so yes. we have to forgive him for missing a long field goal. So I asked Jeff Holland one time. I remember this. I think it was the day I met Jeff. I met him at the bar at Champs uh-huh. in 1996 or so, and I said, "So, so you got West Virginia on the ropes in Morgantown." And you're losing by one point, and Ryan Williams lines up for the game-winning field goal, and he misses it. Do you guys like? Do you put your arms around his shoulder, say that's okay, you'll get the next one? And Jeff was like, "We wanted to kill it." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's get back on track here. So, so we talked about the money more than I wanted to because you know uh, it is what it is. So, what does this with with ESPN getting cut out of and ABC? getting cut out of the Big Ten stuff starting in a year to two years. What does this mean for the ACC in terms of – it's not going to mean more money. It's not going to mean more yeah. money. Because but the ACC is tied it's, into that fi- it, fabulous deal. And, and I see people arguing on our message boards, oh, well, now it's in the uh, ESPN's best interest to keep the ACC happy. And I'm <laughs> well, like, they've – no, now they, now they've it's got ES- us locked up long term. They're not just going to give it's the ESPN's ACC more best money because they're nice to negotiate with the Pac-12 and the Big 12, yeah. and which right. is probably what the Pac-10 and the Big 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I want to talk about time slots. Do you think this mm-hmm. will lead to more ACC games and better time yeah, slots? Yeah, it, it could. It depends on what what they do with the Big 12. How hard they go after them to are they going to get them to sign a new deal and. But, like, there's not that many intriguing teams left in the Big 12 either, is there? Uh, I don't think so. No. no. Oklahoma State, if you can see Oklahoma them. State, TCU. Cincinnati's going into the Big 12. That's, Big that's 12. true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there. I think I think it'll it'll all depend on how the Big 12 and the Pac-12, because both of those both of those conferences starting in, like, 2024, I think their deals wane off. And that's why, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA are able to leave, right? Right. Um how those two conferences negotiate with ESPN because they need television revenue is going to be interesting. What I do think, I do think it will, it'll essentially become a, you know, and of course the SEC is going to be only ESPN at some point in the next couple of years. It's going to go from CBS to CBS and That's ESPN right. to only ESPN. Yeah. But I think the ACC is the one thing at this moment in time that ESPN has right now and is going to have and that's and not going to change. So I think the answer to your question is maybe, probably. It all depends on the status of ACC football and how much it 
you know, the trajectory. Can Brent Pry and Virginia Tech be good again? Can Mario Cristobal get Miami good again? Yeah. Can Florida State be good again? You know, if the ACC starts playing decent football, they'll get decent television slots. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. You have to right. root for the teams you hate to be good. Yeah, that's the way it works. That's in the conferences. way it works. Yeah. 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 Like, like, you, like, we need some of those schools that, that, we don't like to, to be good. That's just the way it is. I will say that I think the group, the entity that has the best deal on all of this is NBC because they get to keep showing Notre Dame in the afternoon the and day. then they got a Big Ten game at night. So they might have Notre Dame. And, well, they're showing some stuff on Peacock too. Yeah, right, right. Um, I, I just I think it's interesting <laughs> that that the Big Ten had the gonads to turn their back on ESPN. Well, from from what I read, it was ESPN. They gate basically said, this is what you will be bidding for the slots. And ESPN already paid that amount for more stuff with the SEC. And they said, well, why would I pay the same amount for less? ESPN walked away from the table. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that gets said, you know, back when in, in the last – TV contract go around for the ACC was, you know, particularly with the five games a year agreement with Notre Dame, why didn't the ACC go to NBC, go to Fox, go to CBS, you know, and, you know, there's, there's people out there that follow this stuff a lot closer than I do. And maybe there are good answers for that, but I just thought it was an opportunity missed. There might've been. And, and, but I think there was a fear. I think there, and, and I think it's great that the Big Ten has broken that mold because I think there was a fear of if you go away from ESPN, then you're going to get punished by not yeah. being talked about and any of that. You stuff. never know with those other networks. Like, I don't know much about television. None of us do. Right. Not nearly as much as the people who run it. So if the ACC had done that and gone to those other networks, would those networks been on board or would they have said, you know what, I think in five or six years, we're going to be able to get the Big Ten. And and we'd much rather have them than the ACC. It's hard to say how stuff. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how how they think in terms of, of long term views and, and you know. Th- I think I, like I th- this is kind of. I mean, this is the first time in like forty years that the Big Ten, like in twenty twenty, whenever the deals twenty twenty three, um, it, it'll be the first time in in forty years that the Big Ten hasn't played on ESPN. Ultimately, you know, ESPN. Yeah, this is like the first time really in a long time ESPN has not had a a stake in that which mm-hmm. is just surprising yeah it is, it'll be weird but uh ultimately those are the two biggest shows in town uh the sec and the big 10 that's just the way it is and uh, the acc here's the thing like the acc in my opinion is the third best conference in terms of the marketability uh, of the some conference. of the brands and yeah that sort yeah of exactly uh so it's not like we're some scrub league. We're the third best college football conference in the entire world, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so far behind the top two that uh, that it's just uh, it, it, you might as well not even be competing with them. Well, um, as, as a dad with two kids who ran cross country, I went to a lot of cross country races where there were two kids way out in front of everybody else. Yeah, that doesn't mean number three sucks. It just means those number one and two they're, are they're really, just really way good. better than everybody else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and that's kind of the way I see it w- with the ACC right now. And ultimately, when you've got two two 
to people that are so far ahead of everybody else, then they ultimately become a competing product against themselves. Yeah, yeah. And they can't be on the same network. It would have been like WCW and WWF both being on the same channel back back during like the wrestling wars and things like that. You can't have that. They had to be on two separate networks. Yeah. And so the, so the NBC people are saying things like, this is great. We get night games where we can promote the Notre Dame broadcast. And during the Notre Dame broadcast, we can promote our night games. So some of that becomes a little self-fulfilling, mm-hmm. but it's good. And, and it, it also b- kind of blocks Notre Dame from having night games, home night games. So there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a little bit of leverage there yeah. to, to say, look. Well, I think just the way it shapes out, if um, somebody broke down what network is hosting, what network is going to host the ICC championship or Big Ten championship game between now and over the next seven years, NBC has one. NBC gets one. Yeah. And then... Fox and CBS split the other two. Split the other six. Yeah. Or, well, yeah, that you know what I mean. Uh, and, and and just NBC gets one one big giant thing, but NBC, I think they get eight games a year on Peacock, eight I football so. games yeah. a year. In addition to their linear broadcast, which I think is something like fifteen to yeah. nineteen. So just the way just the way it's going to shape out, and again, the SEC right now is on CBS and ESPN. At some point, it'll be the Big Ten's on CBS and the SEC's only on ESPN. And that's there's going to be a flip-flop in a couple years, but it's just it's kind of strange to think about. I'm actually happy for the Big Ten because I've always preferred their product to the SEC. Like, I think the SEC fans are just crazy. <laughs> like, like, they had to stop. That's a pl- bad thing? No, no, I mean, like, they literally kill each other. Like they had to stop playing the Florida Georgia game in in Jacksonville because they would all go there and kill somebody, each other. Somebody got killed. There, there was one year at a at like a Thanksgiving meeting. Like there's one family member who's like Auburn, one at, uh, one who's Alabama, and at Thanksgiving, like somebody died. <laughs> I'm I'm serious. I shouldn't like, laugh. I'm sorry. You shouldn't, but no, I'm serious. Like those people are crazy. Um, so I, I, and, all, and don't get me don't get me wrong. I love being passionate about college football, but I think they take it little too extreme down there so like i've always i've always viewed myself as more i don't know big tennis than than i would say uh than sec but that's just me yeah at any rate the sec through the years has gotten so much hype even even in years where they haven't been as good and they don't deserve the hype that they get they still they still give it again. To it becomes self fulfilling. Exactly. You rank all the so, teams high, and then they beat a highly ranked team. Right. And it just so I, I'm I'm glad to see another conference in the headlines. What yeah. what I what I might add is, I don't know. You asked the question: Will Virginia or will the ACC get better time slots? I don't know about for football, but for other sports, maybe. If you think about a basketball, and now I think it is important to note that who knows what's going to happen to the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Right. Because the Big Ten is, you know, it's an ESPN property. That's I expect right. it's just I, not going to exist anymore. Yeah, I no, mean, they, it used they, to be they the could, ACC Big East. They could do the the home ACC games on on ESPN, and then if you're on the road at the at a Big Ten team, all the all the Big Ten home games are yeah. on Fox or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but I I do think it's interesting that all of these Big Ten products are now going to be on either Fox, NBC. Or CBS, they're no longer going to be on ESPN. So how many, how many time slots during co- say college basketball season? How many time slots does that open up? Right. I mean, quite a bit, you know. And if you're 
I mean, of course, Duke, North Carolina, you know, a lot of the ACC is a good basketball conference. Those schools are already going to be playing on, you would assume, big time television networks, but that opens up more. So I do think it open it might open up some stuff for ACC in other areas. It's going to be interesting to see how the, the ratings shake out once everything gets established. Um, and the other thing that's interesting to me is, uh, and, and th- this is this is a conversation that's probably more relevant to years ago. Like I used to watch college football live every night. I DVR it and watch it. We all used to watch uh, game day, and I think you viewership of the view. No, no, no. Viewership of those things has has declined um, because I got I got tired of college football live being the Alabama show every day. So I'm like, why am I watching this? Yeah. But anyway, um, ESPN is going to be in this position where uh, they will have to talk about the, the big 10 teams, Another even though they're not product. on their network. And it's funny. I saw a tweet where somebody was like, uh, they were, they were mimicking uh, uh, maybe Kirk Herbstreet or somebody like that. And it was a quote that said, sure, Ohio state's 12 and 0 and, and they're really good, but let me tell you why seven and five old miss is going to go to the college <laughs> football playoffs. Yep. Yeah. Now, Chris Fowler spoke at the uh, 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 Richmond Hokey Club football kickoff thing many years ago. I don't remember what year it was, but it was right about the time that the SEC network was launching. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I before that, because I interviewed him about it. Anyway, I, I had the um, I, I think it had been announced and I, and I had the opportunity to be having drinks with Fowler Jimmy Anderson and his wife, Pat, Jimmy is the one who put these things together and me. So it was the four of us. And I've told you guys before, I don't remember exact details. I remember how I felt. And I remember I asked Fowler a question effectively. So now that you got the SEC network, uh, you're going to like have to be disciplined and not promote them over everybody else or something like that. Fans are going to be looking for bias now that you've got the financial backing behind the SEC network, mm-hmm. he got agitated. Did he? He did not appreciate that that comment. And, of course, since then, all they've done is talk about the SEC <laughs> and, and put them in all the best time slots, right. and yeah. I get that. So. Yeah, I, I think, one, like, you know, who what, who knows what happens to college game day now? Does co- college game day – yeah, they would oh. occasionally not go to yeah, – they Are they going to go to Ohio State, Michigan now? Well, that's what I mean. They would go to Ohio State, Michigan, even though they're not broadcasting a game – but, but are they gonna somebody else's product when yeah. it comes down to it? Yeah, I don't know. And they, it's that's not a thing that they're gonna do every single week now. You know, if the Big Ten ends up becoming the best football, you know, like if if one year the Big Ten is the best football product over the SEC, or is College Game Day? College Game Day can't go to the Big Ten game every single week. So so how that changes and just the the coverage well, of it's gonna be gonna be two different College Game Days. Maybe Fox starts their own. Well, they have game. their they have their big noon kickoff oh, right, thing, right, right. Um, which and they go head to head to each other. But I mean, and, and like you mentioned, you know, so many people don't even watch that stuff anymore because <laughs> you, you can get everything on your phone. I, that's yeah. true. I I watch it like if I'm already tailgating and it's on our on the TV it's and it's there. I turn it on. I like, but but so, okay, so but, but would you watch that or Premier League? Premier League. Yeah, exactly. It's an actual sport. No, that's instead of people different. talking about sports. Yeah, yeah. All right, so so let's throw. They've got that. Which is how we get paid. Well, yeah, it's, they've got. <laughs> well, it's, they've got that competing with college game day. Yeah, too. that's true. So let's. Uh, I'm going to throw it to the message board for a couple questions for uh-huh. you guys. Um, I also missed a joke that I meant to make earlier because I didn't put it in my notes. When I read all those quotes about Brad Glenn and and how much he he loves him, some Grant Wells. 
Uh, I meant to say, you guys make fun of me for having a man crush on Bryce Duke, and that's a huge man crush that Brad Glenn's got on Grant <laughs> yeah, Wells. No doubt. So, sorry for the misplaced joke. Uh, B. Brenzel, Brenzel 10. What makes this season a successful one, aside from wins under the new staff? What are you going to be looking for? Bowl Play- game. Bowl Play- game. I say player development. Well, I say aside from wins. Yeah, don't pl- be pansies. Don't get run over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look more like a traditional Virginia Tech football yeah. product, I would say. I think if you can you can see positive change in the culture. And, and you asked about Mark Packer. Did you read – you remember the quotes Eddie Royal gave me from that? I do not remember that. What did he say? Essentially, Eddie Royal – and I'm paraphrasing. If you want to go get the exact quote, it is on Tech Sideline. But, but Eddie Royal essentially said – along the lines of the alumni reach from Brent Pry and his new staff, it's a complete 180, and it's what we needed, and he could not be doing anything better in that area. And that it doesn't matter if if you played for a year, if you played for four years, if you were a walk-on, if you were a four-year starter, that he wants you back in Blacksburg. Yeah, I, I go to the gym with a couple of uh, former Tech players, and they've both gotten the emails from – you know, whatever lady in the athletic department's handling all that, saying, look, everybody's welcome to come to a practice. Just let us know a day in advance so we know you're coming. That's, that's what they, they emailed to all the former players yeah. and things like that. So, yes, it's, it's been quite good. So that's a pretty good memory, David. I, found I told one tweet. of them to go to the scrimmage this Saturday and let me know what, ha- what happens. <laughs> so, so we'll see if he does. Um, Royal called Prize Alumni Outreach, quote, a complete 180. He's done a great job of that. There's nothing more he could do in that field. It doesn't matter if you're a four-year starter or you didn't start at all. He wants you to come back and welcomes you with open arms. I paraphrase so, that pretty well. So pretty good memory, yes. Um, yeah, it just it's it's one of those deals where you know um, they're not asking us. Do you want to see Tech average 350 yards a game on offense and give up only 300 on defense? It's not stuff like that. It's just it's what does it look like when I'm watching it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you will know if it is. If the alumni feel positive about coming back, if they feel like they have a connection again, that is good. And if you can see player development and just the culture, that is good. I mean, wins and losses, again, one guy gets injured and your whole season could be over. So wins and losses can be changed in the snap of the fingers, but but showing progress in player development, culture areas, I think, I think that – would make it a successful season. And if you make progress in player development, it'll lead to wins. Yes. That's what we're looking for. You would think. All right. RJH for VT says, what position group slash players on offense are you most confident in performing? Let's say quarterback and tight end. Yep. It doesn't mean I'm not confident in the other positions uh, or any of the other positions. I think there's strengths and weaknesses there at each spot. But – I, w- I would say I'm, I feel the best about quarterback and tight end. I'm confident about Cor- Connor Blumrick as an athlete. No quite. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. You see, I was throwing him in there with tight ends, tight ends. just because everybody's no, going to do it. Yeah, but, no, I mean, yeah. tight ends, I mean, you've got Blumrick, Drake Dulius, and Nick Gallo, three veterans in that yeah, room. good young talent. Brent Price said if there's three better freshmen tight end in and the country, true, yeah. then, then he wants to see him. So Tech has three freshmen. I think it's the best tight end recruiting class in Virginia Tech history. Daquan Wright, Harrison St. Germain, Benji Gosnell. Um, well done. I, I think, you, you know, one of, them, one of them will probably play, maybe play. But, you know, yeah. you could get away with redshirting them all if you really wanted to. Yeah. So which someone, I, I love. 
<laughs> Some of the back channel stuff that we are getting is uh, that uh, Joe Rudolph is really doing a great job building culture on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that's back channel stuff. Um, so they're, they're, they're just so thin, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how things are going to go for them. If players get dinged up, particularly thin at tackle, like yeah. Janzy Clements, you're not allowed to get hurt. Yeah. Xavier, Xavier Chaplin. He's, a, he's, he's massive, been, but he's a true freshman. He's true freshman. Yeah. Six, four, two, oh, six, 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 is he six, 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 three, thirty eight. He's actually he's, dropped about 30 pounds. I yeah. believe since he was, yeah, well, just, but he's, he's massive. I didn't, he Chris, makes, Chris knows the number. He Chris makes Shanzi look a little bit high. small, which yeah, is hard but, to do. But he's a true freshman, and he's Tech's backup left tackle right now. Right. That he's left very talented, tackle. and Chris, he's been Christian Darisol started as a true freshman at left tackle, but he had a year at Fork Union. Yeah. In between, and and he was good as a true freshman. He wasn't dominant, yeah. so you, you you can't expect a true freshman right out of high school who to it, just come in and. and play at a Christian Darisol level if he had to jump in yeah. there. To my point, there's just not much depth at, at all yeah. across the board. And I think, I mean, that is something Brent Pry addressed at Media Day last week. You know, he said that along with linebacker, along with defensive back, there are plenty of, you know, positions where Virginia Tech has, and I've said this all along, I think Virginia Tech is pretty good across the board starting-wise, but it, there's a big drop off. I I, yeah, I think so. I do think they lack depth at, at most spots. I feel good about the backup quarterback. I feel good about a large number of tight ends. I actually feel a little bit better about wide receiver right now than I did in the beginning of spring because I do think I've I've seen player development there. So I feel better about some guys like like Christian Moss. Um, but the offensive line. It's, it's kind of scary. I wish they had one more true offensive tackle who was like a redshirt sophomore or something like that. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like an upperclassman with a ton of experience, but just somebody who's been in the program. I'd feel so much better if they had a guy like that. I, and they looked in the transfer portal to find another offensive tackle, but that's the thing. Like, there's <laughs> not that many good offensive tackles to begin with anyway. Like, a, a lot of teams out there, like one of their offensive tackles is – isn't really like a true tackle anyway, and that's kind of the case with, right. tech, with tech this year. Um, there's just not that many guys who are 6'5 or taller who can move their, their feet well enough to be an offensive tackle. So when uh, And I don't think linemen have a tendency to hit the portal as much as your other positions. Um, so I think uh, I just think the chances to find a good one in the portal are going to be small, and if you do – then every school in the country is going to be after him. Like Tech, Tech found. You remember one. Virginia when when the coaching change? Virginia had like three or four starting oh, offensive yeah, linemen, including, including their left tackle slash wide receiver that they <laughs> use on the goal line. What was his name? Uh, uh, not going to spend on touchdown. I don't care enough yeah, to know. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is his first name or his last? Name? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Haskins. But to my point, Virginia had like four or five offensive linemen leave because of the coaching change, mm -hmm. and they got snapped up like that. By USC. I think, I think he ended up at USC. There was a guy from a, from a Ivy League school that Virginia Tech went after. The Harvard hard. guy, yeah. Yeah, he went, went to Harvard. Now, and I was going to like Ohio State or Penn State yeah. or something like that. Like I'm saying, like there's just not that many good offensive linemen available. So when one is available in the portal – everybody's going to be it's going after him. So, so that's a, that's important. So that means it's important to develop your own offensive lineman. You can't just go out there and grab a guy on the portal like you can a running back or a wide receiver or even a quarterback these yeah. days. Well, that's why Joe Rudolph makes big bucks. That's right. Mm. 
So here's a brief one I will take. When does the Nike contract expire and what can VT expect in a new one? Uh, I don't know the second part. <laughs> Uh, the, the Nike contract. So if you've never seen this, I wrote an article about Tech's Nike contract oh, about six years ago. So just Google Virginia Tech's Nike contract, Tech sideline. And it uh, talks about how, how the Nike contract at that point in time was the fifth worst in the country. And the other four have since been renewed and Tech's now got the worst <laughs> Nike contract in the country. Um, it runs through June of 2023. So next year. And I wrote that article six years ago. And it was like a two-year-old contract at that point in time. What can tech expect in a new one? I don't know. Um, there was a time period. What got me to write that article six years ago was Under Armour signed UCLA for $17 million a year cash, which was ridiculous. It's like right before the housing market crashes, you hear about all these insane prices. And I, that's just not the landscape right now. Under Armour is actually trying to get out of that contract and other contracts. So There's not as big of a competition between the two now. So that's probably not driving up the prices. And then number two, like the increase in television contracts since then, even for the ACC, has kind of made these, these Nike contracts and Under Armour comp, uh, contracts kind of like – it doesn't matter nearly as much. Yeah, like you know. if you make an extra five hundred thousand to a million a year off a hundred twenty-five million dollar athletic department, how much? How big of a difference yeah, does that? Yeah, it used make? to it used to make a big deal, and now I don't think it it's going to make it's it's not going to move the needle very much. I don't think. All righty, one more question, then we'll call it a day. Go Hokies, go! It's kind of a long question. I expect the overall play to be better this year due to the upgrade in position coaches and support staff. Does your crew think the approach will be very, very conservative on offense and aggressive on defense? I don't mean no razzle-dazzle or shots on offense, but a lot more running and short passing to stay on the right side of the chains and a more attacking style and personnel groupings on defense. I think they'll try to be balanced on offense, but, I mean, I wouldn't say they're going to be conservative. I mean, you go back to these quotes about Glenn's. Glenn, when, when he says, you like to take two or three deep shots a quarter, but with Grant Wells, it might be even more. So that doesn't that, sound like conservative game plan question. to me. Yeah, so no, nah, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be conservative. Here, here's what I've learned it, over multiple decades of being a college football fan. Almost everybody thinks their their coach, their play callers and their head coach is conservative. conservative. I remember when I was in, when I was like 12, my Sunday school teacher at church used to just complain about George Welsh. Oh, they was so conservative. And then we had a UNC fan talking about whoever their coach was at the time. Oh, too conservative. And Tech fans always thought Beamer was too conservative. And they thought Justin Fuente and Cornelson were too conservative. Everybody, college football fans think two things. They don't think their, co their coach throws at the tight end enough, and they, always think that they're, they're, uh, and they always think that their coach is too conservative. I think the only coach that may, may, people might not think is conservative might be Mike Leach. That's fair. Be yeah, because fair. because he's very, very he's a very non-conservative <laughs> guy. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think Tech will try to be balanced. I do think they'll take more shots down the field than than you're used to because, just I think that's Grant Wells' strength is his deep ball accuracy and his arm strength and everything like that. I think I I agree with with Glenn that Wells is very good at that, and I don't see the sense of of, of going to battle without using all your weapons. Especially yeah. your best weapon. Yeah. As far as defense, I would expect him to be very aggressive. I mean, you got to remember who's going to be calling the plays. It's going to be Brent Pry himself. That's um, true. Year yeah. one. Mm -hmm. So I would expect, I can't say how 
you know, how aggressive, but you got to think if, if Burton Pry is going to want to blitz, he's sure. going to want to be aggressive. All right. Appreciate it, fellas. That wraps up episode 248 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Uh, I believe we'll finally have the whole crew back uh, next week so I can get out of the hosting gig and uh, much appreciated there. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on the Tech Sideline podcast. Yeah.